You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Eric Cooper um, with the Stone Table Marketplace and Missions Organization. And it's so good to be here with you today. I just want to say a huge thanks to Pastor Matt and really to the whole church for the invitation and really for trusting me with this platform this morning. Uh, I do have a long connection to Kingsway, just uh, so you know. Uh, My first child started at the school here in 2002. She just graduated from college uh, this last month. Uh, But uh, all three of my kids have graduated from the school, been a part of the school board, and we even attended church here uh, during a ministry transition coming out of full-time ministry into marketplace ministry. So I'm really honored to lend a voice today to this Made for Monday series. I really believe with all my heart that the sacred role of the marketplace and our everyday work is a renewal. It's something God is stirring up in his church, literally across the globe today. I was just a part of an online course this last week with Tim Keller's Center for Faith and Work about designing a faith and work program in your city and it had uh, eight countries and 20 cities represented. And so I think this is something God is stirring up. And I, was, I would say, I wanna look for where God is doing something and just kind of hop on the wagon and try to be a part of that. So I was really excited when Matt told me that Kingsway was going to engage this topic. I believe with all of my heart in the sacred connection between our faith and our everyday work. This is a kingdom of God conversation. The marketplace is part of God's kingdom plan for his world. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Just uh, a little context, I'm gonna tell you a little bit of my my own personal work journey. Um, And and don't be afraid, I'm probably the most confused guy in the room right now, but I I started uh, as a music major in college and I graduated with a degree in accounting. Go figure, right? Worked for a CPA firm for a few years and in private accounting. And then I became a music pastor. I was a music pastor at Lakeview Church just up the road from here for almost 10 years. Took an unplanned, really, and beautiful 12-year detour into full-time pastoral ministry as a music pastor, then ultimately became a church planter. Now I'm back in the marketplace in the executive leadership of two faith-based organizations. One is called CRF Affordable Housing. It is our main business engine. We own, manage, and construct affordable housing, um, senior housing, and assisted living all over the state of Indiana. In fact, we just built uh, Glasswater Creek of Plainfield out here on the west side of Indy. But our heart is, is really to engage the marketplace in the mission of God in the world. And so from day one, we're a 30-year-old company. From day one, half of our profits every year go back into building the business. The other half go right out the door to global missions work and to fund the mission of God around the world. And we do that now through our second organization, uh, which I believe Danielle already mentioned, called The Stone Table. So The Stone Table is our missions organization that uh, channels those funds to the mission field, but also works with the local church and with marketplace believers uh, in this arena of connecting our faith to our everyday work life and uh, the theology of the marketplace. We like to say we mobilize the marketplace for the mission of God in the world, or another phrase we use a lot is accelerating the great commission through the marketplace. So 
That's the context that I'm here in today, and I, I'm really excited that your church is having this conversation because I believe it is vital. You know, so many of us, we wrestle with the connection between our Christian faith and where we spend 50% of our waking hours during a large portion of our life. So we're asking questions like, is there any eternal value to my day job? Is it possible to find gospel meaning in my secular career? If I really love Jesus, shouldn't I quit my job and go into full-time ministry? I know a lot of, of people who ask themselves that question. Or how does my everyday work have anything to do with God's mission in the world? This is an important gospel conversation. And it's really nothing new. It's really nothing new. If you look at the historic church, this is a there's been a rich theology of work in the marketplace that, that somewhere got lost in the last couple of hundred years. So we've not discovered something new. We've actually rediscovered something very, very old. And I'm excited to talk to you about it today. Um, I'm terrible at commercials, uh, but I will say this. Um, if any of what we discussed today is an encouragement to you or you want to dig deeper, we're just getting ready to release a book. It's a book that I started writing during COVID last year. Had a little time, extra time on my hands. Uh, it's called Missional Marketplace, Finding Your Everyday Work in God's Eternal Plan. And uh, it's about reimagining your everyday work and your day job through the great story, the great commandment, and the great commission. So it's going to be a lot of what I talk about today, plus how we are utilizing the marketplace as a global mission strategy to help reach the 3.2 billion people on planet earth that are completely unre unreached with the message of Jesus. So it's not out till uh, September 14th, but I think we've got a couple of boxes out here today if you're interested. Uh, my wife and my daughter, I think will be out at a table uh, and for $10 today, you can take one home with you pre-release. So all the money goes back, just so you know, two stone table to help us create more resources like this and, and really preach the gospel through the marketplace. So let me pray for us today again, and then we're gonna dive in and see what the Lord wants to say to us today. So Lord, would you open our hearts today to what you want to say? God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts with the gospel's resurrection message for our everyday work, Lord. There is no doubt that there are those here that are struggling with their day jobs, with what they put their hands to each and every day, and God, I pray that you would encourage and inspire all of us, Lord, God, to see you in even the mundane aspects of our everyday work. So Lord, uh, be glorified here today. May we look at Jesus in your name, amen. So I, I have a, a definitive psychological disorder, and I know they've given me a microphone, so that's a, a little bit scary, all right? But, but it, it, it's called brumotactilophobia. We almost had to get a bigger screen so that it would fit. I, I, I definitely have this disorder. Brumotactilophobia is the fear of your food touching on your plate. Anybody else share this fear? Now, I know there's some sickos in here that just like to mix it all together, all right? We had a buddy in, in uh, high school that we used to be able to pay him to mix all kinds of crazy stuff together, right? But, but there's nothing worse than the juice from your green beans seeping into your mashed potatoes. I, I'm getting a little sick just, just talking about it. <laughs> Anyone else struggle with this disorder? Uh, we'll meet down here after service and we'll have prayer together, all right? We'll have prayer together. 
So that's why I, I love these lunch trays. I think we got to pay. Do you remember these? Yeah. Remember these lunch trays from middle school? You know, the big rectangle for your Salisbury steak, or in this case, your frozen chicken nuggets and tater tots, right? The small square for your mashed potatoes, the square with the little indented circle where you put your milk carton. It would keep all that gravy in quarantine, folks. I mean, it socially distanced your food <laughs> properly. And I love, I love these trays. This is how all food should be served in advanced modern cultures. No fraternizing between food groups, okay? And while these trays are a wonderful way to serve a hot meal, they're a horrible way to think about our Christian lives. And yet many of us instinctively do. We split our lives up into little sacred partitions and secular partitions. Theologians would call this the, the sacred secular divide. Did you know this is actually a form of, of ancient Gnosticism that the church has been fighting against since the first century? The Gnostics believed that spirit was good, but matter was evil, and it was a threat to early Christianity, and it's a threat to our Christianity today. We do the exact, exact same thing. We partition our lives. We might say it's something like this. I'm an accountant. That's my, my secular job. But I, I work in the kids' ministry on Sunday. That is my sacred ministry. I'm a barista at a local coffee shop. That's what I do to make money. But I, I sing on the worship team. That's, that's, my, that's my sacred work, my sacred ministry. I, I'm a construction contractor. That's what I do to pay the bills. But, but I, I'm a small group leader, so I, I, I do have a sacred work as well. See, there's this unspoken partitioning in Western Christianity that the work we do for the church is sacred and the work we do in the marketplace is secular or worldly or ordinary. And I'm here to tell you today, this is simply bad theology. It's an abbreviation of the full redemptive narrative of the gospel. And it's one of the main reasons I believe so many Christians struggle with meaninglessness in their everyday work. See, outside of the money we make and can give to ministry work, and, and please hear me, continue to do that, all right? But most of us see no further connection between our day jobs and the faith that we hold so dear. That's why I love this quote from Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest. He said, the spiritual manifests itself in a life which knows no division into sacred and secular. You see, good work theology starts with reminding ourselves of the whole gospel. Look at this verse with me in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with what? everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The gospel redeems and resurrects all things, including the work of our hands, including the work of our hands. So your work, whether you are a teacher, a software engineer, a Wall Street stockbroker, if you're a construction worker, if you're an attorney, Believe it or not, the gospel can even redeem an attorney. 
If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you are blue-collar, if you are white-collar, if your job is esteemed or if it is humble, if you are a $1 million a year brain surgeon or a minimum wage sanitation worker, reconciled to Christ, your work is sacred. The gospel redeems and resurrects all things. I could talk about this subject for days and it's always dangerous when you give an old preacher a microphone, all right? So I'll try to get you out on time. But in the remaining time today, I wanna share four biblical perspectives about work that I, I just pray one of these will just encourage you, inspire you, shift maybe just a little bit the way that you think or rethink about your everyday work through the lens of the gospel. So I'm gonna fly high today with the hopes of just kind of giving you a little taste, all right? A little taste of the blueprint that God has for your everyday marketplace work, all right? So number one, and there are four, so you'll know when I'm getting close to the end, all right? Number one, in the beginning, there was work. In the beginning, at the genesis of the universe, of the earth itself, of mankind, there was work. Now, maybe this is common sense to you, but it was revolutionary for me. I don't know what I thought Adam and Eve did all day. I thought maybe they just kicked back in the garden, laid on the grass, you know, scrolled through Facebook, watched a little Netflix, you know, posted some pictures of the newly named animals on their Instagram feed. I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, I thought they did all day. But work, work was part of God's original design for mankind and his creation. And this is not some conspiracy that your boss has put me up to, all right? Let's look at what scripture has to say. This blew my mind, check this out. Genesis 2, one through three says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. Do you see a pattern here in creation? But then look at verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to do some simple math here. We are just in Genesis chapter two. The whole tree and the apple and the fall of man does not happen until Genesis chapter three. So here's what I take away from that. Work is not some post-fall punishment for sin, although I've had some jobs that feel that way. Work is part of God's original design for mankind. Now, the brokenness with which we experience our work, thorns and thistles, the Bible says, right? That is the result of sin, but not, not the work itself. See, we weren't created to sit on clouds and play harps all day. Maybe I'm dating myself a little. Do you remember when cartoons were on just for a couple of hours after school every day and then on Saturday mornings? Right, so I, I, Looney Tunes cartoons, you remember that, Bugs Bunny and all, right? I call this Looney Tunes theology, Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote. So if you remember, occasionally, one of the characters, maybe Elmer Fudd, would meet his demise during a wascally wabbit hunting accident. And then he would, he would float up to heaven on a cloud. Sometimes they were 
playing a harp. So, you know, if you piece this together with our, our misunderstanding of work and creation, my inferred theology was that laying around doing nothing in the garden was how we started, and cloud surfing and harp playing was where we were going. And we're somehow all stuck in this broken middle season punished by decades of labor and hard work. But is this the true story? No. No. That's not what we were created for or what we will do after we die. We were created to dream and build and serve and cultivate and problem solve, to make culture and to add value to the world around us. Is it broken by sin? Yes, but we were made and designed to work and keep God's creation. This is the human vocation. This is our original design. We were created to work. In the beginning, there was work. And this is foundational to your theological understanding of your job. So number one, in the beginning, there was work. Number two, let's unfold this a little bit more. Our work is part of God's great story. Let's build on this a little bit. See, part of the gospel's beautiful redemptive work is that it invites us into a much bigger story. Did you know the, the Bible is not just a, another religious book of rules and morals? The Bible is unique among all sacred texts. The Bible, the Bible is actually a story. It's a story. Theologians, you, you may have heard this before, most, mostly will characterize this in four acts or four main chapters, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's a, it's a meta-narrative. It's the story arc of scripture, which shows us the story of a loving creator chasing down and redeeming his beloved and lost creation. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the gospel invites us into this great story. It places our daily lives, our relationships, all our activities, and our work within the grand narrative of God. And I believe at least part of the reason we struggle with our daily work is because we do not understand this story. We still think, I still think, that we are main characters in a story that we are writing about ourselves. In my sin-fallen fabrication, in my sin-fallen storyline, I'm the hero on my movie poster. I prefer Captain America, he's my favorite. But I'm the protagonist. I'm the focus of the storyline. This shows up in every area of my life, including my work. According to a sociologist named Christian Smith, the most popular Western answer to the question, what is the purpose of this life, was to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And even as Christians, we can think about God this way. If, if I am the center, if I am the main character, if I am the, if I am the hero, then how do I just apply, my faith is important to me, so how do I apply a little bit of God to my life, to my story that I am writing? And so most of our faith and work narrative is asking, well, here's my job, my career, my business. How does God apply? How do I apply a little dab of, of God and faith to those things? And let me tell you something. This is the perfect recipe for being absolutely miserable. 
See, my friends, we weren't created to be main characters in a story that we are writing about ourselves. We were made to be beloved members of the supporting cast in a cosmic tale that God has been unfolding since the beginning of time. This is God's story. So when we pursue our own happiness, we will never achieve it. But when we pursue God's glory and the love of our fellow man, we will find ultimate joy. If we want our everyday work to have redeemed meaning, like we saw in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, we need to place it within the redemption story. We don't invite God into our story. God has invited us into his story through Jesus Christ. I'll share it this way. In the 1500s, you may remember this story. The popular belief was that the earth was the center of the universe and all the rest of the heavens, the moon, the sun, the stars, that all of that revolved around us. And it wasn't until a very controversial scientist named Nicholas Copernicus came along and confronted this falsehood that the truth finally won out. And my friends, the gospel will create a Copernican revolution in our lives. It flips the script. It removes me from the center of the story and puts God back in his rightful place. And that is the story we were designed and meant and created to live. We were made to be vice regents, image bearers, and reflectors of God Almighty. And that is the context for our everyday work. We will find meaning in our work when we realize that we are not writing our own story. We are not the hero. We are not the main character. We're actually part of something much greater. So in the, beginning of, in the beginning, there was work. Our work is part of God's great story. Let's get a little more granular now. Number three, number three, when we work, we partner with God. When we work, we partner with God in the cultivation and care of his world. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 28 says, and, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's Genesis 1.28. It says subdue and have dominion. Have you ever wondered why God didn't create houses and streets and cities and cultures and universities and businesses. I mean, I, I would think God would do a much better job like when I drive down Rockville Road as a city planner, right? <laughs> I think God would be you know, a much better college president. He'd be a much better tech entrepreneur. So why didn't God just do it himself? Because it's our job. Part of our creation mandate as image bearers of God is to partner with him in the care and cultivation of his world, to bring together raw materials, to form, to reform, to develop and grow. We partner with God as his image bearers and vice regents, as makers of culture and caretakers of humanity. From the simplest of jobs to the most complex, our work is part of God's ongoing work in the world. I love this quote from Pastor Tim Keller in his highly recommended book, Every Good Endeavor. It is a masterclass on this subject. 
I'm just going to read this to you. It's kind of long, but see if you can find a little bit of yourself in this quote. It said, if we are to be God's image bearers with regard to creation, then we will carry on his pattern of work. The world is not hostile so that it needs to be beaten down like an enemy. Rather, its potential is undeveloped. So it needs to be cultivated like a garden. And that is the pattern for all work. It is creative and assertive. It is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. This pattern is found in all kinds of work. Farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we use a broom to clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take simple materials and turn them into a poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. Or to go back a few centuries further to a guy named Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant revolution, he summed it up this way. God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. God is milking the cows. God is educating children through the vocation of the teacher. God is feeding people through the vocation of the waiter or waitress. God is healing people through the vocation of the brain surgeon. God is raising children through the vocation of the stay-at-home parent. How would it change your feelings about your job if you saw it that way? When we work, we partner with God. So in the beginning, there was work. Our work is part of God's great story. When we work, we partner with God in the cultivation and care of his world. And finally, I told you we'd get there. Number four, when we work, we fulfill the great commandment. Go on a little detour with me here for just a second, okay? The greatest danger of our broken, sinful humanity is that we make idols. We make idols. I'm not talking about little gold statues out in your backyard, okay? But I am talking about objects of our worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've always been shocked at the blatant stupidity of the Israelites in the book of Exodus, you realize how dumb these people are, right? All right, so they're, they're in slavery in Egypt and there's miraculous plagues that lead to their release from Egyptian slavery, miraculous. They're, they're, they're running out into the wilderness away from the Egyptian army and they come to the Red Sea and what happens? The Bible says it just splits in two and they walk through on dry ground, not even muddy ground, like dry ground. When they get through the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness, there's a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. It's literally the presence of God manifest in their midst. They don't even have to know where to go. They just follow the pillar, wherever the pillar goes. 
leads them through the wilderness. They wake up every morning and their breakfast, lunch, and dinner is miraculously on the ground outside their tent. I'm telling you, it was early recipe Chick-fil-A nuggets, totally. Yet as soon, as soon as Moses heads up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what do they do? As soon as, as, soon as Moses leaves, they take off their jewelry, they melt it down, they make a golden calf, and they fall down and worship it. The very presence of Yahweh himself was miraculously in their midst, yet they turned away and worshiped the work of their own hands. How dumb are these people? And then God pokes me on the shoulder and he says, hey, Eric, you do the exact same thing. See, an idol, an idol is anything we place our trust in. Anything we find our identity in outside of God, our creator himself. See, everyone thinks that, that the root of sin is bad behavior or acting badly. No, the root of sin is actually idolatry. It is wrong worship. And John Calvin called our hearts perpetual factories of idols. We are just churning them out constantly. And if I'm honest, I can attest to this battle in my own life each and every day. And our work can easily become one of these idols. We place our trust in our paycheck. And we find identity in the social status of our work. We define ourselves by what we do, how early we get to the office, how fast we clean out our inboxes, how many overtime hours we're willing to put in, or how our particular line of work makes us feel in comparison to others. But the gospel changes all of that. See, when Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai, tetelestai. It's actually a, a business term. Um, some believe they stamped it on receipts in Jesus' day, and it meant paid in full, paid in full. I have that word framed in my office. This is actually a picture of that picture in my office. It hangs over my desk because I never want to forget that Jesus' finished work is the foundation. It's the starting place of all my work. See, we don't work to make ourselves right with God, to earn a name for ourselves, to find meaning in our life. We work from the place of God's, it is finished. When I find my identity where it belongs in Jesus Christ, then finally my everyday work becomes what it was designed to be, the fulfillment of the great commandment. Look real quick with me at Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40. They came to Jesus and they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. But see, when my work is my idol, when my career is my identity, then it defines my worth, my value, my acceptance, my status, my pride, or my shame. But when the gospel redeems my work, 
my identity, my worth, and my status are grounded eternally forever in Jesus Christ. And my work, no matter how wonderful or menial it may be, becomes what God intended, which was the fulfillment of the great commandment to worship God and love my neighbor. We get the opportunity tomorrow morning, Monday morning, made for Mondays, right? We get the opportunity every day in big and small ways to worship God and love people through our jobs, great or small. When we work, we fulfill the great commandment. In the beginning, there was work. Our work is part of God's great story. When we work, we partner with God. And when we work, we fulfill the great commandment. What if all believers reimagined their work, their everyday work like this? I'll close with this. This is a guy I'm pretty proud of. This is my dad. He's 77 years old. I can't get him to retire. He still shows up at the office every day. But my dad grew up in a, in a poor pastor's home. I'm a pastor's grandkid. My dad was a pastor's kid. My grandfather pastored little churches all up and down the East Coast of the United States. And my dad tells the story. Sometimes the church had no money. <laughs> they literally had no money. So they would pay my grandfather in chickens, in live chickens. And he has memories of you know, the elders showing up at the front door with two chickens, two live chickens in their hands as my grandfather's payment for that week. And my grandfather would go out and prepare them in the backyard. I mean, literally, you know, ax to the head, chicken with its head cut off, running around the backyard. Totally true. I, I had no idea. But my dad, he didn't want us growing up that way. He didn't want us growing up poor. <laughs> and he had a, a knack for business and entrepreneurship. And his goal was one day to have a million dollars in the bank. That was my dad's dream, to have a million dollars in the bank. That's a lot of money today, but it was an even bigger goal in the 1960s. He was well on his way as the co-owner of nine nursing homes back in the 1980s. He eventually sold those. He spent some time in the restaurant business and with other investments. And he was just good at recognizing opportunity, he had a willingness to undertake risk and, and to go after things. And in the early 90s, a dear friend, a real estate developer friend, apartment owner, discovered a, a, a program for nonprofits to get into uh, affordable housing. And he approached my dad, and uh, they thought this was a good idea. Uh, my dad decided to give the last half of his career, his entrepreneurial skills, to the development of a housing nonprofit that would do its best to provide high-quality, affordable housing to people who need it while committing half of its cash at the end of each year to global missions work. Seeing the gospel spread and, and the name of Jesus declared and glorified to the ends of the earth. And by our best estimate today, we're going through some transition after 30 years in, in, our, uh, in our housing company, but by our best estimates, CRF Affordable Housing provides what we hope is quality affordable housing and assisted living for between five and 6,000 people on any given day. And from our profits and missions partnerships with other churches and businesses, we've been able to channel $15 million to the work of the kingdom around the world. And I, I always love telling that story because I wasn't responsible for any of it. I'm just the guy that's been charged with not screwing it up uh, in the next generation, right? 
But, but I share this with you. My, my dad's my hero, you know? He, he made that million dollars that he dreamed of. He's made it multiple times over. It's just not in his bank account. It isn't in a trust fund for my kids, which some days, you know, some days I, I think I'd like that. But, uh, but my dad, my dad is, is hands down. He's the richest man I know. He's the richest man I know. He, he doesn't worship his business, so his business has become his worship. You don't worship your work. Your work can become worship. Your, your job that doesn't have to look like my dad's to be sacred, okay? You don't have to start an, an overtly missional nonprofit or Christian business, but you do have to stop writing yourself as the main character of your own story. Because I'm telling you folks, as Christians, we have a much greater story to tell. We have a much greater story to tell. The glory of God among every tribe, tongue, and nation, right here in our own community to the ends of the earth. Your marketplace work is not less than, it's not less important. In fact, it is part of God's story that he is telling and creating. We don't worship our work, we worship God. And when God is in his rightful place, then our work becomes worship. So I wanna pray for you today and then we're gonna close this time. Lord, I know this conversation can hit us in a number of different ways, God. There, there are some here today that own their own businesses, they're their own boss or they're retired. And Lord, there are others who are working jobs that they despise and hate. And um, Lord, I, I just pray for everyone here today. Lord, would you allow the gospel to stir us today to reimagine our everyday work within the context of your kingdom and your glory. So God, I pray for everyone here, everyone here, Lord, no matter what their work is, Lord, stay at home parents. Lord, when we push a broom and sweep up a room, Lord, we can do it to the very glory of God. But God, renew us all today, Lord, so that when we wake up in the morning, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, we can say, ah, I get the chance to honor God and love my neighbor and declare and proclaim the name of Jesus through the everyday work of my hands. Lord, renew that in us, God. We can't do it on our own, but Lord, your gospel can recreate and regenerate and resurrect those things in us. And so I pray that over everyone here today to your glory in Jesus' name, amen.